Well, good morning to you. If today is day number one, my name is Dean. I'm the lead pastor here. We are thrilled that you have taken the opportunity uh, to join us, to be with us today. Um, just a commercial um, at the beginning here. We're going to celebrate communion at the end of the service. So whenever you came in both doorways, there are uh, communion elements there. If you want to jump up real quick and go out and grab those, if you want to celebrate communion with us at the end of the service, if you're watching online, grateful that you're with us as well. Maybe you want to grab some things there in your home so that you can celebrate communion with us today. Um, at the end of the service. Uh, the second thing would be, um, as we start this brand new series on the Revelation today, we're going to do our best to provide uh, some resources as we move through the series. You're going to need our LifePoint app uh, to make sense of those things as I recommend them. So if you don't have uh, the app, you can take out your smartphone. Uh, right now, search keyword LifePoint Ohio, wherever you get your apps. Download that. There are interactive notes that are available there. So you've got my notes. As we go through the message, you can type your notes into those and email those to yourself uh, just as a record of God speaking to you, maybe something that he says uh, to you that you want to take some next steps in uh, this week. So, like I said, moving through the Revelation, we're going to say this uh, every week. Uh, the big idea for the series is that the Revelation is more about hope, present hope, than it is about a future calendar. It's more about a present hope than it is about a future calendar. The revelation is designed to comfort and confront us, right? More so than it is to confuse us or to give us a timeline. The revelation, in thinking about um, that idea of hope, right? The, what we're gonna learn is that the end, what we're looking at, the future, that the end is really just the beginning. And I think that we all worry, right? We all have a little bit of fear, a little bit of concern about what's gonna happen at the end. Maybe you're a little bit concerned about what's gonna happen at the end of your life, when you're no longer here, when you're gonna pass away, or maybe you're concerned about, well, what if God returns and this whole revelation thing gets kicked off, right? Uh, before, uh, before, and I wanna I want know, I wanna know what's gonna happen. But what we're gonna learn is that hope means that the end, or what we think of as the end, is really, it's really just the beginning. Uh, it's been an interesting last 10 days um, or so for me and Angie and, and our home. So 10 days or so ago, we moved our youngest out, uh, moved her off to college. And then this weekend on Friday, our oldest got married. She had been staying with us for the last couple of months because her lease had run out before she and her husband move into now into their new apartment. And so, you know, when those transitions come, um, there's just a little bit of sadness sometimes. You know, the kids all moving out, all those kind of things, just kind of a different moment. And Angie was expressing that to me. She's like, you know, it's just kind of sad. Like, everybody's gone now. <laughs> I looked at her and I was like, you still got me, baby. <laughs> that was her reaction too. That was the same, same one, same one. All right, so let's jump in uh, to the Revelation. I'm gonna give you the five W's. Anytime you study a book of scripture, right, you wanna know what the background is of the book. And we're, it's gonna be a long study in Revelation. So we'll start with these, uh, the five W's. Revelation chapter one, verse one, it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So the who of Revelation. The who is Jesus, Jesus in heaven, downloading this revelation to John. 
This is uh, not John the Baptist. This is St. John, John the, the gospel writer. And so John was not just one of the 12 disciples, but he was also one of the inner circle. He was one of the three. John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. That's what he calls himself in the gospel. And I would say that Jesus had a unique affinity, and that was okay. He had a unique affinity for John. From the cross, Jesus says, son, speaking to John, son, there's your mother. Mother, behold your son. From the cross, Jesus commends that John will be the one who's going to care for Mary like his own mom. Now, that's a big deal because Jesus had brothers, right? We know Jesus had younger brothers, but he doesn't commend his mom to the care of his younger brothers as much as he commends his mother's care to John. I, I would say it this way. I feel like Jesus and John were best friends. Like that's the level of their relationship. And now here we are. And John is the only one of the disciples that's left. So the revelation, the who is Jesus downloading this message, this revelation from God straight to John. Okay, that's the who. It's the what. It's in verse, um, look at verse 11. Saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. The revelation is actually a letter, right? It's a letter that Jesus gave to John to send to the seven churches of Asia Minor. I'll show you a picture of those. This is modern day Turkey. Today, you can go visit the archeological ruins of all seven of these churches. So this revelation letter would have been circulated around for all of these churches um, to read. And the idea of the letter is because of what will be someday, this is how you live today. And that was for them today, right? So uh, I just wanna encourage you when I said Revelation's more about present hope than a future calendar. So a lot of us get caught up in the numerology and the mark of the beast and who is the antichrist and all. Listen, they had to understand the letter, right? It was written to them with benefit then to us as well. And sometimes we just want to read the revelation and try and figure out all the, all the symbols and everything for us today. But it was encouragement to them. And therefore, right, it'll be encouragement uh, to us. The next thing, the when, is about A.D. 70 or so. So if you think about that um, on a calendar, it's been about 57 or 58 years since John has seen Jesus, right? The resurrection and then, and then the ascension. It's been that, uh, that amount of time. So that's the when. The where is in, um, is in verse 9. It says this, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony uh, of Jesus. So the where. John receives the revelation on a Greek island uh, called Patmos. 
Now, the tendency for us when we hear Greek island, right, is we think, oh, wow, that must have been, that must have been awesome. It, the Patmos is about the size of our school district here, about, about the size of the Olentangy school district. And you think, oh, that must have been the Mediterranean. That would have been great. Actually, Patmos was a penal colony for Rome. They sent the worst of the worst criminals. And you're like, well, then why is John, why is John there? Because the Roman emperor Domitian had increased the persecution uh, of Christianity to a crazy high level. But one of the things that Rome was learning is that the more they killed Christians, the more Christianity grew, right? So they didn't want to murder John. Rather, they would just stick him here on Patmos on this penal colony, and he'll probably die there, and it won't be nearly, it won't be nearly as big of a deal, right? So that's the who, the what, the when, and the where. And then lastly, and maybe most importantly, um, is the why, right? And that's in verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven uh, churches. So John's purpose is writing to these churches and to the leaders of these churches. And the, and the best way to interpret Revelation is to interpret the obvious things. It just says for the rest of the book, as we read, when we hear about lampstands, the lampstands, he says, are the churches. That's how we refer to them. He says that when we're talking about angels in that local context, that the angels are the pastors of these churches. So he's got these seven stars right in his hand. He starts, he starts seeing that. But he said, listen, when I'm here, angels think pastors. Very blessed that because of the wedding uh, this weekend, my, my in-laws are in town today. I'm grateful to have my mother-in-law here. And I'll just say the Bible says I'm an angel. I'm the pastor here. So I would appreciate it if you would refer to me as an angel. And I know my mother-in-law, she's a very astute Bible scholar, and my mother-in-law would say to me right now, honey, the devil started off as an angel. That's what she would give me. That's exactly what she would, she would give me back, all right? So that's the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why um, of Revelation, okay? So the letters to these, and, and as somebody um, who wants to just jump right in to let's teach the text, you know, I think probably four or five years ago, we did an in-depth series on the seven churches in the Revelation, right? We, every one of them. We're not going to do that in this series. If you want, you can go back and listen to those uh, messages because we're moving our way through the whole book. But today I'll mention one of the churches next Sunday, just for context for the book, I'll mention as well um, a couple uh, of these churches. And as, as a teacher, and you want to just jump, right? You want to jump there. But before we do that, Revelation chapter 1 gives us, John gives us a picture of what Jesus looks like. And it is amazing. Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. Now remember last humble, meek, earthly Jesus going to the cross, seeing him post-resurrection. But John gets to see him differently. This is him. And the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. 
And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he, let it, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. Can you imagine for John? late 80s, early 90s, I'm guessing, in terms of his age. And he's been exiled to Patmos. He's been left there to die by himself as an old man. Do you ever wonder if John thought, man, it's been a long time since I've seen him. My best friend. It's been almost 60 years since I've seen him. Did all that stuff really happen? It's probably even got a little fuzzy maybe in John's memory. Did that, did that miracle, did that feeding of the 5,000, did that healing, did all those things really? And then just this wonderful gift. Jesus shows up to see his best friend, to encourage him. And John says, he looks phenomenal. And he says, and obviously the holiness of Jesus, right, demands. He says, I fell down, but he says, but he just put his hand on my shoulder. Fear not, old friend. You saw me at the first. I was the first, but I wasn't done yet. Because I'm the first, I'm the alpha, and I'm the last, and I'm the Omega, and the Omega is still on the way, John. So what we're gonna do is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give to you, and you are gonna turn around, and you are gonna give this encouragement to these churches. So as we look at the churches, I just wanna remind you that the revelation includes evaluation. It's going to happen throughout the book. For these seven churches, what you're going to see is in chapters two and three is that Jesus is going to say to them, here's some things you're doing really, really good. Here's some things that need some work. Here's some encouragement. And here, um, here's some admonishment. Here's some things that are great. Keep those the same. Here are some things that need to change. Four of these churches were struggling uh, with sexual immorality inside the context of their church. Two of these churches get only um, encouragement. Here's what you're doing really, really good. One of the churches or only one of the churches gets um, admonishment and says, you need to work on some things. Now, say all that to say this to you. M these churches get mixed reviews. It's a tough time. And so for you and me, not just for Ephesus and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia, right, and Pergamum, as we list the churches, not just for them, but I would say for LifePoint. If Jesus were here today and he were giving us what he was giving to them, if, you know, he's kind of like giving them a report card. It's kind of like your, um, your, evaluate, your annual evaluation, right, at work. Here are the things you're doing well. Here are the things you need to work on. If he were here today giving us the same eval, if he were here giving you personally, the same eval. And his hair was white like wool and his eyes were a flame of fire. You know what I think you'd get? You know what I think I'd get? I think you'd get a mixed review. I think as we move our way through the book of Revelation, it's important to us to remember 
there are going to be some things that are going to encourage us. And then there are going to be some things that are going to require accountability. There are going to be some things that we're going to look at and go, man, we're doing these things really, really well. And there are going to be some other things along the way that need to change. And it's important that you and I, that our spiritual posture is, God, whatever needs to change, we'll change it. Whatever adjustments I need to make, um, I, I, I want to I follow you, listen to you, hear from you, and, and I want I to adjust. So let's take a look at the first two things that he says uh, to this church. Um, the first two things that they're doing really, really well in Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, Ephesus was uh, the capital city of Asia Minor. Four major trade routes came together right there in the city. Uh, the temple of uh, Artemis or Diana, uh, that's one Greek name, Roman name, uh, were there. Her temple uh, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, she was the goddess of fertility. So this temple was full of temple prostitutes who would flood the city at night. It was a very sexually immoral city. Um, had lots and lots of issues in government and leadership and just immorality and injustice in terms of the ways um, that people uh, were treated. That was, that's what Ephesus was like. And yet, that Paul planted a church here and they had incredible leadership. Early on in their history, John, Paul, Timothy, and Apollos all served in leadership here um, to the church that Ephesus. And he's going to say to them, man, there are two things, two things that you're doing really good. Verse two, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but who have tested, uh, who have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them, uh, found them to be false. Jesus says the first thing, you're doing really, really well, really good, is that you don't just listen to anybody, but you are testing the false teachers to and, and you're not willing just to aimlessly follow uh, what it is that they're, that they're saying to you. Now, we learned out in verse six that these false teachers are a group of people called the Nicolaitans, and they're teaching what they taught people inside the context of the church, is that because Jesus died on a cross and paid for all of your sins, those sins are covered, so you can do whatever you want. You can go uh, live however you want. You're free to do anything and everything you want. And no matter what you do, if it's right or if it's wrong, it's okay. If you enjoy it, do it, because Jesus has paid for it. They were misappropriating the goodness and the grace of God. So instead of allowing um, grace to turn their hearts toward God in relationship, they were using grace as a license to do anything and everything they wanted to do, right? But that was a very, that was a group of teachers and they weren't getting a very big following because the Ephesian Christians, they were very, I'll use this word, discerning, right? I've got friends of friends about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago maybe, um, they were on a flight and uh, they had their, I think she was about three-year-old daughter who was with them. And as they went up in the air, the pressurization in the cabin, you know, it just got to her ears and her little ears were hurt and she cried really loud. And if you've ever been in that spot as a parent and you have a crying child on a plane, it is crazy stressful, 
right? You're trying to get the child to be quiet, but at the same time, you know, their ears are probably hurting and it's a thing. So they finally get up in the air. They try to give her something to drink um, and she calms down a little bit. And they, what are we gonna do whenever we land? Because this is all gonna happen again. So they decided we're gonna give her animal crackers, right? And she'll chew and swallow and drink and maybe that'll help her ears kind of pop um, along the way. So they start their descent and they just start giving her animal crackers, as many, right, as they can. And after a minute, I mean, the little girl's like, I mean, you know, she's only three, but she realizes I don't normally get this many animal crackers. So she's kind of quizzically looking at them like, I don't want any more animal crackers. And they're trying to have her keep eating crackers. And she's like, why? And the parents are like, they're for your ears. They'll help your ears as, as we land. And the parents start talking to each other and they're not looking at her. And all of a sudden they look back down at her and she had one animal cracker in this ear and she'd stuck another animal cracker in this ear, right? And I think sometimes as believers, we'll just put anything in our ears. Sometimes as believers, we'll just listen to anything and believe anything and trust anything because we are not discerning truth. And so as you, um, as you grow as a Christian, this is one of the reasons, man, we encourage as much as we can for all of us to walk in a daily relationship with Jesus, reading God's word every day, filling up our hearts so that we become so familiar with truth when, when the Nicolaitans in our lives step up and it's a little off, we can immediately wreck. We don't just stick anything in our ears, right? All books, all podcasts are not created the same. And so part of small group community, part of you being in a group is that your life group leaders can help you say, hey man, that's something that I would probably stick and listen to. That's probably something you need to be discerning about that or about this. Our staff, we would be um, happy to help if you ever have questions about something that you are listening to or learning from uh, as, you, as you are growing. That's the first thing they did well. They were very uh, discerning. Um, the second thing they're doing well is in verse three. It says this, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have, not, um, you have not grown weary. The second thing that they were doing very well in Ephesus is that they were investing their time. They were serving. They saw the kingdom of God as this expansive thing that they wanted to invest time and energy in. Because they saw, man, this, this is worth, we're, we're this subversive thing that is growing, that's making a difference in the world that we want to be part of. Um, whenever um, Angie and I, whenever we lived up here on the north side of, of Olentangy, we did uh, Trunktober one year, our kids were really little, and we invited a little guy next door to come to Trunktober with us. And at the end of the night, you know, Trunktober, it's all about games and candy and all those kind of things. And we were leaving and we're headed towards our little minivan. And I will never forget our little neighbor boy. He took two or three steps running and he threw his arm in the air. And he said, this is the most awesomest, best day of church ever. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I remember going to church with a friend of mine whenever I was a kid and I was running away too, but it was for very different reasons, right? Like he thought, man, if it's always, that's candy and if it's fun and if it's, and you know, the kids had done, we had done a lesson uh, out there with them. We had done that, you know, he had been at our house before whenever we had done life group um, at our house. They took the time to invest in the next generation. I'll just say to some of you, who are part of our church family, 
You do an incredible job with this. You are willing to invest your time and your energy to see the kingdom of God expand and, and to grow. And you know what? It's really important that we do. One of our core values of our church is personal ministry. And we say that personal ministry means that we are servants. It's incredibly important that we serve and invest our time. You know what? We're, our tendency as we get older, right? Our tendency is to, oh, those kids today. Rah, 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 rah. Well, instead of complaining, why don't you start training, right? You can take the opportunity to invest. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting with one of our young dads um, here, and his name's Matt. And Matt said that he was, you know, he's been leading the small group in LifePoint Kids for his son now for two or three years. And he was thinking, you know, maybe I just kind of need to step back this year, take, some, take a year off, let my son. And he said his son said, hey, Dad, you're going to lead us again this year, coming year on right? And, you know, we're grateful, man, to have all the uh, kids who are in crew with us today. Next Sunday's move up uh, Sunday. And so all the kids' classes will be changing uh, next Sunday. And Matt said, I looked at my son and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to lead. Because how can you look at your, how can you look at your, I think about another one of our dads, um, Rich. And when, um, when Rich's son, Jack, when he was little, I think he grabbed him in about fifth or sixth grade. And he told him, he said, we're going to start serving together. And for the last probably six years, Rich and Jack, father and son, have led on a regular basis twice a month in LifePoint Kid. Jack graduated high school this year. He's never going to know life in the local body of Christ without it happening in the context of serving. Because serving is how we grow. Now, serving is not the only way that we grow, but if you're not serving, if you're not investing your time and energy in the context of expanding the local kingdom of God in a local church, wherever that is, wherever you are, you're kind of cutting your legs out from underneath yourself some, right? In terms of your growth. We would love for you to take the opportunity to serve. In the app notes that I mentioned to you, there's a, there's a link there. If you'll click on that link, it'll take you less than 10 seconds to fill out that form. You're not signing up. You're not signing up to serve. You're signing up to be willing to have a conversation about serving. And I will say, especially in LifePoint Kids right now, man, God is just continuing to bring us young families with children and instead of complaining, you can start training. You can start investing for the sake of the kingdom. And yes, we need ladies, but can I tell you, we need some dudes. Like we need some men. We need some high school students and some middle school students that would step up to serve. All three of my kids were blessed to serve in what we call jump back. You serve the generation that's right, that's right behind you. I mean, we would love for you to take that step. That's the two things that... This Ephesian church did great. They were discerning and um, they were serving. Now then, Jesus is going to give them something, um, something to work on here in verse 4. He says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Maybe if you read it before in the old King James, you have lost your first love. You know what's really, really easy to do um, as a believer, as a Christian, is to become somebody that has a full schedule and an empty heart. We can so easily become those people. Full schedules, really, really busy, but 
we move so slowly and gently away from our first love. And Jesus is trying to remind these Ephesians, hey, 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 love is why you got into this. Love is why you became a Christian. Love is why, when you saw me on the cross sacrificing myself for your sin, that's, you didn't get into this for rules. You didn't get into this for activity. You didn't get into this because you got nothing better going on. You got into this because of love. And Ephesians, church, you're, doing, you're thinking really well, you're discerning really well, and you're serving really well. You're giving your time, but I'm afraid. Ephesus, I'm afraid, life point, that you may have drifted away from your first love. So, if that's you, if that's me, what do we do? How do we get back to our first love. Here's what he says in verse five. Gives us two things to do. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Two things uh, that we need to do. We need to remember and we need to repent. And we need to do those things, right? Because it's very easy over time to pray and ask God to give me, give me, give me, give me, and change my circumstances. And when my circumstances don't change fast enough to just kinda go, oh, I thought it was gonna, oh, I thought, I didn't get the answer, right, that I wanted. Elizabeth Elliot, um, well-known uh, Christian uh, writer, tragically buried two husbands in one lifetime. She said this one time, she said the secret to Christianity, the secret, is Christ in you, not you in a different set of circumstances. See, the secret is union with Christ, relationship with Christ, daily walking with Christ. The secret is Christ in you. So what do you do? You remember and you return. I was um, in the process of studying for this message. I just took some time and I thought back. For me, it was January 21st, 1981, when I came to know Christ fourth grader. I remember the day after I became a Christian, it was on a Monday night, the day after walking down the hall in Burlington Elementary in South Point, Ohio, I told my buddy, Jerry Childress, what had happened. Heart was hot, right? I mean, hot in this new relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, you need to get back to that, Dean. You need to get back. You get back to that. How do you do that? You remember and you return. And remembering is so important. I took a, um, I took, just took some time in my devotional life, again, studying uh, for this, to write down some things. I don't know if you ever do this. Whenever we sing these songs, um, I asked Chad this morning to sing Almighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing, to remind us, right, he will not fail. Like that is the future, that is our future hope. And even in this battle that we see, Right, the battle that goes on, he's, man, he, he's our hope. He will not, he will not fail. But for me, when I remember, one of the things that I need to do sometimes is just to ask myself, where would I be without Jesus? 
You ever do that? I just wrote some things down. What, what would I be? And listen, I know my heart. I know, what, I know what kind of jerk I would be if I had not met Jesus. Man, I think it is so helpful for us. Who would you be? What kind of person would you be? What kind of life? I mean, yeah, I can only imagine, right? Somebody should write a Christian song about that. All right. The second thing, right, seems kind of obvious, not just repenting, but it's, it's returning, right? So remembering creates opportunities for repenting or for returning. And not in guilt, not in shame, but Jesus, the one who's the lover of our souls, right, who sees us. So what difference does that make? Well, this week, it's a big week. If you're here today and uh, you are a fifth grader, last year heading into sixth grade, Brand new middle school, right? If you were an eighth grader last year going to high school, you're a freshman. And there's a lot of fear. There's like, you're stepping onto a new team. You're gonna be in the locker room with people you don't know. All these people look like trees. They're all, they're all so big, right, around you. And it can be a scary, scary, lots of insecurity comes with a week like this. You know what having the future hope, understanding what's gonna happen in the future means? It means you can walk into school this week he said, God, this freshman thing is scary. Don't be dishonest. You can acknowledge, God, this freshman thing is scary, but I believe that you are with me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? If you've got a medical procedure coming up, you can be, um, you can be in a place with Jesus, right, where you're sitting on the table and right before the procedure, you can pray and you say, God, here's the outcome that I want. I can come boldly to your throne of grace in my hour of need. And I can ask and I can say, this is what I want. But if not, but if I don't get it, I believe you're still good. You can say, God, my husband, my wife hurt me deeply with their words. But that's okay because I'm not theirs first. I'm yours first. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. That's my core identity, that spiritual intimacy. And as believers, we can never allow activity for God to substitute for intimacy with God. That's why we got into this, for love's sake. So as we walk through this series, man, I want us as much as possible to do this together. I don't want Revelation to confuse you. I don't want it to confuse me. And so we're going to walk through it together day by day. Starting um, tomorrow morning, I uh, mentioned to you to download the LifePoint app. First thing that you're going to see on the app tomorrow morning, devotions and drivecasts. Our Next Steps writing team has done an incredible job of writing out a written devotional for us five days a week. We're going to journey through Revelation together. Tomorrow, I did the audio portion for tomorrow, the drive cast portion, Revelation 1, 1 through 3. And we're just going to walk through it day by day, verse by verse. And we're going to do three things. Read it in, pray it up, live it out. Read it in, pray it up. So we'll read it in every day. We'll take opportunity to pray it back to God and then to apply it to our lives in whatever ways that we sense God's saying to us. And then we'll go and we'll live that out. Because we all need to learn to hear God's voice. And I would just say the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. 
So that should be the primary part of our prayers back to him. He speaks to us through 66 books laid down over a couple thousand uh, of years. He speaks to us through the word. We pray the word back to him and then we make adjustments to him in terms of how we live. Read it in, pray it up, live it out. And if you are social media inclined, we are going to talk about um, our, um, our conclusions, what God is saying uh, to us under the hashtag LP underscore new for this series as we kind of walk through Revelation together. I hope you'll take the opportunity um, to join us um, because, man, one of the greatest human needs is learning to hear God's voice. We need that as believers. Um, every parent, teacher, coach, right? Anyone who's ever led children, you know all children have two voices, right? We name two voices for children, right? They have a inside voice and an outside voice. No parent ever encourages their child to use their outside voice, right? Every parent, every teacher, every coach loves the inside, the inside voice. You don't ever have to train your kid on how to use their outside voice, right? That just comes natural. I would say to us as believers, it's a good reminder. I think if I can say it to you this way, God has two voices. And we tend to love the outside voice of God, the big, the loud, the miraculous things that happen. Like we love God's outside voice. But I would encourage you that maybe the more important voice is God's inside voice. First Kings chapter 19 calls it the still, small voice that we learn from God, read it, reading his word, read it in, pray it up, live it out. I hope you're gonna jump on this journey with us daily. Here's how uh, the writer um, summarizes uh, the message to this church in verse seven. He says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, um, I will grant of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What I love is that when he summarizes this, he takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You'll notice in the artwork for the series, in your bottom left, we start with a tree. That's not a random tree. That's the tree of life. In the Garden of Eden, that's where God started. That's where God started this whole thing with Adam and Eve in the tree. But what God started in a tree, Adam and Eve ruined in a tree, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they ate of that and introduced sin into the world, but that's okay. Because what they ruined in a tree, Jesus saved on a tree on Mount Calvary whenever he died for us and paid for our sins. Also, that he could bring us back to the tree of life once again in our eternal home with him, showing us this in the revelation. It's the redemptive story, the overarching story of the grace and the goodness of God as he reveals himself to us. Uh, there's a, a Christian writer, philosopher, his name is Rich Mao. And Rich said whenever he was in kindergarten one year, that at the end uh, of, that, uh, of that, or the middle of that year, in December, one day, a man showed up at church. And he had on a big red suit and black boots and a black belt. And he said, ho, ho, ho. And the glory of Santa shone round about them, right? But parents always think kids are going to love Santa. But sometimes children experience a very different emotion, right? 
the glory of Santa shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Like they were scared to death. They didn't know, they didn't know what to do. So the teacher, uh, Mal said that his teacher looked out at them and said, um, I want one of you to come up here and sit on Santa's lap to talk about your behavior. Great white throne of judgment right there in kindergarten class, right? And none of the children moved. So Santa looked at little rich Mal, and he said, you, come here, come sit on Santa's lap. Now, what Rich didn't know is that this was one of Santa's helpers, right? This was a man that he knew named Mr. Cooper from church. And he was just dressed up like Santa Claus. And Rich actually liked him a lot. He just couldn't tell it was Mr. Cooper. So he goes up and he sits on Santa's lap. And Mr. Cooper could feel how scared he was. So he kind of turned him away from the students. And he pulled his beard down. And he said, Richie, it's me, Mr. Cooper. You don't have to be afraid. And that is really what the revelation is. It's Jesus unveiling himself, saying, Ephesus, life point, you don't have to be afraid. You've got me. Don't leave your first love. Remember and repent. So that's why today, we're going to finish our service by taking communion together. As we remember the cross, the broken body, and the shed blood of Jesus, that biblically is supposed to bring us towards repenting or turning, not in guilt, not in shame, but in the forgiveness that we receive from God because of how he has loved us. So I'm going to pray and give you the opportunity to pray, to repent, to return, to remember. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for your work on the cross, your sacrifice on our behalf, your broken body, your blood that was shared for us. And so right now, God, I pray that what you are hearing, what you are sensing from us is just this returning, this, this remembering, that God, you would be pleased this morning, as terrible and awful as the cross was, God, it was wonderful. It was good news for us. Thank you for how you love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.